Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Jalen. We thank you for his heart. We thank you that um, you give him the words that uh, you want him to speak. Father, because we know he is a man after your own heart. Father, we just thank you that uh, you give him the courage to stand here and to profess your name and your name on high. And Father, I just pray that uh, you give him your spirit this morning, a spirit of courage and a spirit of calmness, and you just allow your Holy Spirit to take over and do the work. And may he just be your vessel this morning. And we just pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Morning, guys. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm preaching today. Um, this came up a lot faster than it looked like it would, so I kind of, like, realized, and I was like, whoa, like, I got to get on this. Um, I'm going to pray again because I don't want to start this out uh, without communicating with God first because this is an intimidating thing at first. Uh, dear Lord, I don't want to do this without your Holy Spirit guiding me. Um, this is kind of a huge step, but um, help me to kind of look past myself and everyone else to look past me and look at what I'm trying to communicate. I thank you for how um, preparing the sermon has ministered to me what I've learned from it, and I just pray that you can communicate that to everyone that hears um, my words this morning. Um, yeah, I just pray that you bless this time and uh, help it to run smoothly. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, so yeah, I've been assigned the book of Job. Um, when I when I showed up to the to one of the meetings for this, um, I was a little bit late, and I was the last one in, 15 minutes late or something like that, and Steve, uh, he said, oh, welcome back, Jay, guess what, since you're late, you're preaching on the book of Job, and we all just kind of laughed about it, and I, I thought it was a joke, like, I, I really, I was like, haha, very funny, um, and then a, a week later, I get the email that says, um, here's all your guys' sermons, what you're going to be preaching on, and I got the book of Job. He wasn't kidding. So, yeah, um, but I have to say that um, now that I've been studying it just because I had to, um, I've, I'm really enjoying, I, I've really learned to just kind of fall in love with this book, and it's taught me so much, especially in the season of my life um, that I've been in. Um, I don't think that it was an accident that I got this one assigned to me. Um, Although it has been challenging, it's taught me so much, and I just hope that you guys can kind of get a new perspective on it. If you have the same perspective that I did when I first got it, um, you might go, oh, the book of Job, if, if you have the same attitude that I did. But I just pray that you'll, um, that the Spirit will open your hearts and you'll receive what, what this book can offer. Um, yeah, so uh, we're going to start... Uh, reading just straight out of the book, um, and it's we're going to read uh, Job chapter 1, verse 1, and it's going to be introducing us to the main character of this story. 
So if you'll turn there, if you have your Bibles. I'm just going to read from this. Okay, so we're going to read. Okay, Job chapter 1, uh, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and many, mans, and many servants, um, so, that his, uh, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in each house, uh, each one on his day. So I'm guessing that was like the birthdays. They'd all go to the birthday boy's house or girl, whatever. Um, and they, um, they would send and invite their three sisters to come and eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them uh, all. And he said, um, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So Job was this, this mighty man of renown. He had more than anyone else. He was wiser than anyone else. He was the greatest man in the East. Um, and not only that, but he was, he was generous. We'll see that. Like, I, I'm, I'm not going to go into like, all the super details because there's so much. You're going to have to study this for yourselves. Um, he was generous and hospitable to travelers that were going by. And he was a mentor to young men. Like He took care of them and he gave them his wisdom. Um, and he raised his children to love one another. So the sons would actually send and invite their sisters to come and eat and have fellowship with them, which is a kind of a big deal because, well, I guess siblings just don't usually get along that well. But I don't know if things were differently back then or if he was just an amazing parent. Who knows? Um, probably shouldn't have said that. Sorry. Uh, um, so yeah, let's let's move on into the like the first act of this story. So we just we we know who he is now. Now we're going to move into the act, the first thing that kind of happens in this time. Uh, and so this is found in Job chapter one, verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of man or sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, "From where have you come?" And Satan answered to the Lord and said from going to and fro on earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Scary words. Um, there's, that there's none on earth like him, a man that is blameless and upright, um, who fears God and turns away from evil. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed him with the works of your hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch your hand. So, okay, there's, there's a lot you can unpack from this. I spent so many days just focused on those six verses. Um, because it, it's a really cool thing, and we shouldn't just like overlook it that the Bible is actually peeling back the curtains and showing us what is behind the scenes um, for what's about to happen. This is the stage setup. 
And we don't usually get to do that. Like we don't usually get to like look into the heavenly realm. This is a really interesting perspective that we get um, so that we know what's going on. Um, so yeah, we shouldn't just skim over it, but I don't have time to talk about it all day. Um, again, there's so much in this book and I really want to encourage you guys to go and study it for yourselves after this. I can only offer a little bit, kind of an overview. Um, so yeah, when, when I picture the scene, I don't want to stop because it, it's just the pictures I get in my mind are just like, whoa, like, um, this would, this would be an interesting thing to see. Um, God's on his throne and his angels are all gathered around him and in comes this being through the door. Um, I kind of picture like a dark cloaked uh, being known as, um, in Hebrew, the Satan, which means the one who is opposed. And we know him as Satan, um, the enemy of our souls. And so he comes in and he is, in fact, the most powerful created being God ever made. But he is just that. He's just a created being. So like God's not like, oh no, here's my arch nemesis, draws his sword and on guard. Like it's not like that. Um, but all of the angels I'm imagining would have probably moved to the sides of the room as Satan walked in because he's a lot more powerful than them. And, and he, he walks up to God and, and, and God's like, so where did you come from? And he's like, well, I've been messing around on earth trying to screw up all your plans. And, and so God's like, oh yeah, have you, uh, have you seen my servant Job? You can kind of probably imagine the uh, frustration that, that would have come over Satan there when God brought up Job. Because what he's probably thinking is, of course I know Job. You've made him untouchable to me. And I just kind of picture God like dangling Job up here and Job's like, like trying to get at him like, come on, give him to me. And, and, just, and God's protected Job and, and Satan is really, really mad about that because he, uh, he can't touch him. God's made him untouchable. So that shows us that Satan is not this equal nemesis from God and they're dueling up, up in heaven and it, God might win, God might lose. Like, God's still over control of Satan, even though he is the most powerful created being in the universe. So yeah, let's not subscribe to the dualistic view of Satan and God or just this tug of war and, and who knows who will win. God is in control. So um, God gives him permission. He, he, he kind of like, Satan throws down the gauntlet, which is a medieval um, way to challenge someone. So like you take off your glove and throw it on the ground and they would be like, if they picked up the glove, then you'd fight. Them. And so God picks up the glove and um, he's kind of like, let's dance, let's, let's do this. He's not going to fall. Like, um, so yeah, so uh, he gives everything that, that Job has to Satan and Job doesn't know any of this. This is, this is something pretty interesting that we get to see but Job never actually finds out about this scene. Job never, even in the end of the book, sees, oh, um, God, you let Satan do that to me. And I think if he knew that, he wouldn't be later in the book so like, why is this happening to me? But he doesn't even seem to know that Satan is involved. He thinks it's just God crushing him. And we'll get to that. Um, so yeah, let's, let's read... Uh, Job chapter 1, uh, verse 13. So this is con just continuing here. 
Um, now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and riding, ugh, and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the, the Sabians fell upon them and took, took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, another came and said, the fire of God just fell down from heaven and burned up your sheep and your servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And then nothing else happened. No. Um, another one came, and this was the, uh, this was the one that kind of finished. It was Satan's signature move, I guess, um, where he took Job out at the knees. Um, While he was still speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are all dead, and I have alone escaped to tell you. And so Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. That's kind of an, an interesting thing. I'm wondering if he wanted to worship or if he was just doing that because that's what he disciplined himself to do. Um, and he said, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So Satan just, he swung his sword and delivered a devastating blow. Um, he hadn't won yet. Because um, just when he had knocked Job to his knees, he realized Job wasn't on his knees because he was defeated. He was down because he was worshiping. And that's when Satan was like, I got him, I got him. Oh, what? Like, he thought he had won for maybe a split second, and then he realized Job wasn't going to fall so easily. God was right. <sighs> okay. So Job chapter 2, um, verse 2. We're just starting in verse 2 to kind of continue this. So Satan has gone back to um, the, the, that meeting of, of the sons of God, like these angelic beings, and he, uh, he faced God again. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Lord, the Lord, I can almost imagine God just being sarcastic when he's saying this because he's saying the exact same thing over again, like, from where have you come? He knows exactly where he's come from. It's always a rhetorical question when God asks it. Um, Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on earth and walking up and down on it. So this, is, this seems a little familiar. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, and blameless and upright, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast to his integrity, although you have enticed him against me to destroy him without reason. Wait, you have enticed me against him, sorry, um, to, to destroy him without reason. And so even the Lord says, I had no reason to allow you to do that. Well, that's not exactly what he's saying. Just we'll move on. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, so he says, he held fast to his integrity even though you had everything that he loved destroyed. And Satan replies, frustrated, skin for skin, all that a man has he will destroy or he will... <laughs> All that man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh, 
and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan was like, Let me have another try. I bet I can get him this time. And God's like, Yeah, go ahead. Because he knows this isn't going to work. Um, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery. This is Job. He took a piece of broken pottery and began to scrape himself um, while he sat in the ashes. So he had like, it was probably really gross. Like we don't want to talk about it, but it was like really gross. Um, he would be scraping himself while he was sitting in the ashes of his animals, his garden, um, the rubble of his home, and the ashes of his children. So this is a heart-wrenching scene to think of if, if you really think about it. Um, so on top of this, his wife tells him to curse God and die. Tells him to give up. Um, I don't want to like go here, but I'm gonna because it's um, Satan took everything from Job and even took his health. Somehow, his wife still survived. So. Some, either, either like Satan was, well, we know Satan was totally using her to try to crush Job even more than he already was, but isn't it kind of crazy? Like that's, Tim Hawkins talks about this and it's, it's funny, but like that's saying something like that she, she survived all of what Satan was doing. Like, and, and Satan let her survive. Like that, that was a, cause God didn't say, no, you can't kill his wife. He could have, but he left her. Okay, we're, we're going to move on now. Um, so, but, but, um, <laughs> um, contrary to popular belief, um, when, it, when the book of Dro Job is brought up, there is a lot of hope packed into this book. There's a glimmer of hope, and I really want to talk about that because I want to try to change your perspective about this book a little bit because... Um, some of you may already know this. That some of you might not learn anything from this, but I'm going to say it anyways because I know that a lot of you guys have the same perspective that I did um, when I was assigned this. Um, so yeah, um, but in order to understand that hope that's it's, um, kind of buried in this book, we also have to understand the pain and the sorrow and the suffering that contrasts with it. So there's dark, and then the dark is what makes the light pop. So we're going to... Talk more about dark. <laughs> um, so brace yourselves. Um, Job chapter 2, verse 11. Um, now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, so Job has three friends. He probably has more, but these are his three like best friends. Like These guys are there for him. And when they heard about this, um, we'll just keep reading. Um, I, I have such a hard time saying their names. Uh, they, they came each one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bilidad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. So I'm going to call Eliphaz just Elliot and never, never mind, Billy, Billy the Shuhite. Um, <laughs> um, they, they made an appointment together to show um, him 
sympathy and comfort him. So they, they all left their homes, and when they saw him from the distance, they didn't recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept. So they, they were heartbroken for him because they saw what had just happened. Um, so they, they wept and they tore their clothes and sprinkled dust on their foreheads uh, to show well, heads to, towards heaven. And they sat with him in the ground, on the ground for seven days and seven nights and no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his suffering was very great. So they just kind of sat there in the ashes with him with awkward, maybe awkward, maybe well-placed silence. They didn't want to talk because they knew what... They knew that what he was going through was just crazy. Like, so I guess it makes sense that they wouldn't be talking. And Job's three friends, so they came to comfort him in the story, but the story takes an even darker turn when Job breaks the silence with a curse on the day of his birth. Something changes in his once supporting friends, and they turn on him. So through the next 27 verses, Job's three friends accuse him of committing some heinous crime against God, and they insist that the world works perfectly according to God's just law, and he must, Job must deserve what has overtaken him. So they, like, they go from like, brokenhearted for him, and like, I, like, they didn't even want to say anything because they were so brokenhearted for him, to just turning right on him and viciously tearing at him and blaming him for what was coming upon him. So this is a... Uh, this is kind of a really heartbreaking thing to see because right when you're at your worst point, um, there's nothing like having a friend come alongside you and, and support you through what you're going through. And these guys started like that, but then they turned on him. So Job is, is truly left with no support and no encouragement. And, and throughout all of these conversations, he goes on through the next 27 verses, his friends are making up these elaborate speeches on how he deserves what he, he's getting, and Job resists. He says, no, um, I don't deserve this. I know that, I, that this is not because I sin. This is not because I sinned. God isn't punishing me for anything. But he didn't know what was going on. He, he was like, I don't know what's going on, but it's not because I sinned. I know it's not. And, and he was right. He wasn't getting punished for sinning. Um, but he also didn't know what, what this was, why this was all happening. Um, so their understanding of God was he's just, he only gives you what you deserve. Um, so that's kind of like a cause and effect. If you do this, you'll get this from God. And, and they, they all had a misunderstanding, including Job, had a misunderstanding of how God works and how our world is fractured. Yes, it was a perfect, just world, but we fractured that um, justice. So sometimes bad people get away and the good people suffer. Um, so yeah, um, he wrestles with the idea that the God he served um, might not just, or might not be just, and he might not love him, uh, and he might just be random in selecting who he will bless and who he'll curse. And he's undergoing some like paradigm shift, like his entire mindset is changing about God and it's tearing him apart. Like he just doesn't know what to think anymore. So I encourage you to read this, like read what he goes through. Sometimes it feels boring and monotonous just reading through it, but he is just so confused. He has no idea what's happening. 
and it's a really, really sad thing to um, have to read, um, but there is hope, so just bear with me. So um, throughout the Bible, we see people wrestling with things they don't understand, trying to fit the great unknown into the mold of their understanding, and we do this too. We, we don't understand something, and we say, oh, it must be wrong. We, we try to fit an ocean of, of information into our shoebox-sized brains, and we just don't, we can't expect to be able to understand everything. Um, so, yeah, God's going to show Job this. Um, so, yeah, he's wrestling with his understanding of who God is and eventually makes a bold demand that the Almighty answer his question as to why he's suffering. So um, in Job chapter 31, verse 35, if you'll turn there. I can't even find it. Um, he says, um, Oh, that I had one to hear me. So Job is... Um, just he's, he said, I'm done talking to you guys. He's done talking to his friends. This is after he's had all the conversations with his friends. And he's like, oh, that I had one to hear me, someone that would listen to what I had to say. And here's my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. So he's demanding that God tell him why he's suffering. And that's a really bold thing to do. And he probably didn't expect that God would actually do that, but um, you should be careful what you wish for because... Um, answer him, he did, out of a tempest. God came to him in a whirlwind or a storm. And I, I can just imagine this scene, like the wind blowing across Job's face, whipping him with rain, the backlit thunder clouds of the lightning. Like this would be an um, awesome but absolutely terrifying experience for Job. And so God shows up in Job 38, um, chapter 38, Verse 1, the Lord answered um, Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with, or without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. In some translations, this reads, brace yourself. Brace yourself. That's a scary thing to hear from God. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out a line upon it, um, and, and uh, on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all of the sons of God shouted for joy. So this is like, an, I can't, like God goes on with this for a little while and twice he says, Job, answer me. How did that happen? This is like, like I'm scared of exams when the exam time comes up. But this is a, an exam about how the universe is run, how God did it. And he's asking Job, how did all of this happen? Like, yeah. that's all I can say. Yeah. Like, I'm scared when exams come up. This is an exam from God, the, yeah. the guy who created everything. So, so he says, I'll question you and you will make it known to me. And, and Job's just like, he just cut, he says, um, if we move on, there, okay, so um, Job chapter 40, uh, verse 1, um, the Lord said 
Oh, wait. Yeah, so the Lord said to Job, um, Shall a fault finder contest with the Almighty? Um, He who argues with God, let him answer it. And Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. How can I answer you? I lay my hands on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. So God's like, just questioned him, baffled him with an encyclopedia of his knowledge. And Job's just like, I cover my mouth. I, I, I don't even know what to say. So Job is starting to get the idea. God's using this to um, teach him um, and make him realize that there's something way bigger going on. Um, and Job's mind can't comprehend it as God continues to baffle Job with these elaborate questions. And Job begins to realize that his understanding is no match for God's. So he's just asked God, or he's uh, asked God for an answer. God didn't give him an answer. Instead, he baffled him with an encyclopedia of his wisdom and knowledge. And then Job says, okay, okay, I'm getting, I get the idea. Okay, I don't, I don't, I can't possibly understand your ways. God's not done yet. God's like, oh no, you're not getting away this quickly. You're going to make, I'm making sure that you understand this. So the Lord challenges Job and he says to Job out of the whirlwind, he's speaking quoting himself again, dress for action like a man or brace yourself. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be right? Have you an arm like God? That, and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out your overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below and they will also acknowledge, and I will also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. So he's like, okay, so you do everything I can do and then I'll leave you alone and let you take care of this. So he's kind of saying like, um, you, you have a problem with how I'm running my world. Do you want to give it a shot? Like, do you want to try it? And then he, and then he gives him the instruction manual for, for running the world. And Job's like, yeah, I think that's a little too ambitious for me. Like, no. Um, so God's basically saying, um, how would you, you don't like how I run the universe. Um, how about you give it a try? And yeah, so Job realizes that he has no word to argue with God. And that God has one more finishing blow just for good measure. Um, so God's still not done. He goes on to describe these two fantastic beasts called the behemoth and the leviathan that would destroy man without even thinking about it. And yet they aren't evil. They're part of God's good world, and he's very proud of them. Um, I'm not going to read all through that because I just don't have a lot of time. Um, but yeah, read about that. That part like sends shivers up my spine. I, I'm kind of glad they're, I think we're, they're extinct. But... Well, I'm kind of glad, and I'm kind of like, man, I wish I could see that. Oh, Jurassic Park. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, Job answered the Lord, and, you know, he says in chapter 42, verse 1, um, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides the counsel? Or he, he's quoting God right here. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And then he says, therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me. 
which I did not know. Here and I will speak. I, have, I will question you and you will make it known to me. I have heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now I see you and therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So he, he, he's saying, I spoke without even knowing what I was talking about. Um, and I've, I've heard all about you. I've lived for you my entire life. Like he, he's done his best to serve God, but now he's seen him. He's seen the majesty in the storm and, and that God showed him this. The Bible Project describes it like a virtual tour of the universe, which is really interesting. God showed him things that a lot of people might never actually get to see. And, and so he's like, I didn't understand what I was talking about. So please, like, forgive me. I'm sorry. That's what he means when he says, I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. Um, he's kind of denying what he thought he was right um, when he said that God, because he, throughout the book, he's, he's calling, he's saying that God is the one, like a tyrannical king that's, that's just crushing him just on a whim. And he doesn't understand. Um, so yeah, um, so now we're going to get to the hope part. I don't have a lot of time. I'm really going to have to hurry. Um, who will give me five more minutes? Yeah. <laughs> five, 10, 15, 20. I've always wanted to do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Come on, Seth. Come on. <laughs> Okay, so um, have you ever worried about something and then something else happens that makes the thing that you worried about seem microscopic? So if you didn't hear me, ha have you ever had something going on in your life that you're just super worried about and then something else happens and, and it makes that thing seem microscopic? Madison's nodding her head. She, on, on Friday, she said, well, I'm a little bit more worried about public speaking than like the end of the world or something. <laughs> like... And, and I was like, amen, but um, yeah, like, but that's an example. Like, we worry about these things, but then something so much bigger happens and just swallows up our concerns. And this is what happened to Job. He just had his entire, everything he loved wiped off the face of the earth. His health was taken away. His friends abandoned him. His wife is still alive. Oops. <laughs> and... <laughs> yeah, can I have the dog back at least? Um, um, so, okay, um, so he just had everything that, that he uh, was concerned about, everything that um, brought him low, swallowed up by the immense majesty and power and glory of God. Um, and this happens to us, I think. This, this, this is... Most of us could probably relate, like we're worried about an exam and then it's over and, no? <laughs> yeah, um, so, and so like Job is wrestling with his ideas of God and he's wrestling God's ways, um, but as Job realizes um, what God is really doing, because he thinks God's attacking him, so he's fighting back. He's like, what's going on here? What are you doing? And it's a wrestling match and when God shows him what he's really trying to do, this wrestling match really starts to look like a dance rather than a wrestling match. And um, what are my qualifications for talking about dancing? Um, not great. Some of you know. Um, but 
I, I, I think that this is a really good way to think about it. This is the, what flipped my understanding of our relationship with um, God. Like we, a lot of the times we think, oh, he's attacking us. We get, we're wrestling with our ideas of God, what we think he is. And he went, and then eventually, like, he's okay with that. He's okay with us wrestling him. But we're not going to get anywhere wrestling the Almighty. It's a cool title, huh? <laughs> um, we're not going to get anywhere, but he'll let us tire ourselves out by wrestling him, and then he'll ask us, are you ready to learn how to dance? Because we think he's wrestling with us, and the whole time he's trying to teach us how to dance with him, step, in step with him. And, okay, so, man, I just jumped. Um, this is a really um, hard lesson to learn um, because we really, when things don't go our way, we, we panic and then we struggle to try to change our situation. And, and when we do that and we find out that we can't control the music, we can't change our situation, things go really bad for us if we're still trying to march to the beat of our drum. So, um, so yeah, we, we, it's a really hard thing for us to learn how to submit to the wrestling match and to submit to the rhythm of the dance that God is playing and that God is doing. Um, but it is a really beautiful lesson once we learn it because there's nothing like dancing in step with the Almighty. Like dancing in step with Him is, is an absolutely thrilling experience and it's good that we get joy out of it. We shouldn't be like being, oh, I gotta glorify God, so I gotta like go and not eat for 50 days and eat rocks when I get back. Like, um, He is glorified in us when we are satisfied in Him. I, I don't wanna be plagiarizing, that's John Piper. Just quoted John Piper, so just, <laughs> I'm not that smart. Um, but, but yeah, it's, um, it's a really interesting thing, and, and this is one of the things that, that I learned from this book, was I don't have to be, like, down in the dumps to glorify God. I don't have to be, like, somber-faced and, and holding still, playing a guitar and singing slowly, like, um, in order to glorify God. Um, he is glorified in me when I take joy in him, when I love what I'm doing. And, and Jesus, Jesus talked about this all the time. He, he loves a servant's heart, and a servant's heart isn't doing the serving because he's a slave, it's doing it because he loves his master, and because he loves the work that God has put before him. Um, and so, like, this dance that I'm talking about is, is what we call faith. When we, talk, when we walk in step with the Almighty, it's like falling backwards knowing that he's going to catch us in a dance. Um, we, it, I think this is a really cool metaphor. I'm sorry if I'm boring you guys to death, but... Um, to illustrate this, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Um, now, the first word you'll see there is therefore, and as Steve has always said, um, when you see a therefore, you must ask what it is there for. Um, so I, I really encourage you to go home and read what comes before this. Just read all of Romans. Just do it. It's, it's a really good, like, just read the whole thing. But this... I, this has been my devotion for like the past 
two or three weeks, like just these five verses. So Romans chapter five, verse one through five. Um, so, but but this is this is directed to people who are part of the church. Paul wrote this to the church. So the, this is directed towards people who have accepted Jesus Christ um, into their hearts and have been changed by the saving work um, by grace through faith. Faith, yeah. Um, so yeah, this is not going to apply to people who have hardened their hearts towards God. This is something that comes after. This is one of the many benefits that we have in Christ. And so this is a really beautiful thing. So even if like, you aren't saved and you're here today, um, listen to what I have to say because this is an incredibly appealing thing um, for people, hopefully. Um, so yeah, we're going to read this. Uh, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Okay, so let's talk about that for a minute. Um, So we've been justified by faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Um, Well, by saying that we have peace with God, it's implying that once we didn't, once we were at war with our king, and he brought us back to him. And, and that's a whole huge story. It's, it's the main story of the Bible. It's what all of the Bible runs together to talk about, that we've been reunited with our God. Heaven and earth, which were once torn apart, are coming back together now because of the saving work of Jesus. And, and he's allowing us as a church to be part of that, and that's a really exciting thing. Um, like, that's all I wanted to preach about when I got assigned this. I just wanted to preach about the gospel and how the kingdom and earth were torn apart in this war on God that man turned on him because um, he thought he had a better way and ripped the two worlds apart. And God's bringing them back together as a new heaven and a new earth. And it's going to be amazing. And so, yeah, when I got this, I was like super, this is all I wanted to preach about. So I got Job and I was like, oh. but now, now I'm, I'm able to like talk about that too. Um, so what's this, um, when it says, and, and um, we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? Like, it sounds really nice, um, this grace in which we now stand. What's it mean? It sounds really nice, but a lot of times we'll read something and it says, like, grace or faith, and we'll be like, yeah, it's a Bible word. <laughs> but we never actually, like, dig into it and figure out what it's trying to tell us. Um, so the picture I get when I think about standing in the middle of his grace, we've obtained access to this, um, what I picture as a dance floor of his grace. And we're standing in the middle of it. Um, I gotta just, let me check on this. Um, the more I think about this, uh, I begin to picture a child dancing on the toes of their parent. Have you ever done that? Like when you were little, like they would, you would step onto your parents' toes and they would hold your hands and dance with you? That's the only dance I ever learned. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that, that takes a release of, of your, like trying to, like if you've ever seen that embarrassing video from Youth Wars, probably. Um, uh, but yeah, you have to just let, let their feet carry you. Let them direct the dance. Let them lead it. And I also picture um, what, um, 
I picture a husband leading his wife in a dance. And she, by faith, is going with the steps that, that he takes. And so this is kind of what I picture when I picture standing in the middle of grace through faith. Um, you have faith in them. And that faith is seeing what they're doing. And even if you don't know exactly what they're doing, you go with it. And that's something that uh, is really kind of hard to learn, especially if you're a terrible dancer like me, um, to keep your eyes on them and just let the rhythm that they set carry you through the dance. Um, but th th that's not all it says. Um, man, I got lost here. So that's not all it says. Um, it, it also talks about um, rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Um, so rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, when we don't rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, when we aren't excited about it, and, and this happens, this happens to me, and I think it happens to everyone else. Like we, we say, yeah, yeah, the glory of God, what's that? And we don't really... We can't comprehend it, so we kind of just shut it out from our minds, and we don't want to think about it because it hurts our brains. Um, but it is something that we should get excited for, and if we don't, it probably means that we aren't, um, we don't desire to understand it. And so it's something that we can never quite fit into our minds, but it's also something that we should chase and that we want. And it's an intense pursuit of understanding who God is and chasing after him, running after him. Um, and it sets your heart on fire with hope because you know that someday you're going to catch it. Someday you're going to reach that point. It's running a race. Paul said, I'm running a race with my eyes fixed on the goal. I'm not looking to the right or the left, right or the left. Um, I'm just focused on that goal, the glory of God. So Paul was excited about this and a lot of the time we aren't, me included. So we need to step back and look at this for a minute. What does it mean, the glory of God? Like, why should I be excited about that? Because it's something that when you see it, you have it. We, don't, we haven't seen the full glory of God yet. We've seen glimmers of it in fellowship with our church, with our friends, worship. Um, we get glimpses of the glory of God. A sunset is a glimpse of the glory of God, for me, at least. Um, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. I, I'm sorry, I'm going over time. I have 15 minutes, though. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, um, where am I going with this? That was scary, huh? Um, so, yeah, we're, we can see glimpses of the glory of God, but once we see it, like the fullness of it, we ourselves are glorified. And we get to partake in the glory of God, which... You're going to have to go and study for yourself because I don't have time to even begin to uncover what the implications of this are, what that does to us, what, what we can, how we can apply that to our lives. But take this verse, study it, read it over and over and over again. Um, so we're going to move on really quickly. Um, it talks about rejoicing in suffering, and this is a key thing for us because um, it says in verse 3, Romans chapter 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope 
does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That is also something that if you don't study it and read it over and over and over again, you're not going to get it. You can read over and say, oh, that's a nice verse. But if you study it, this will change your life. And there's never too many times that you can read it. You can read it over and over again, and you can always get something new out of it. It renews your mind when you read, when you read the scripture. It's alive and breathing. It's not something that you can just know and then never learn anything about it again. It's important that we keep reading it. So suffering produces endurance, produces character, produces hope. And so this is something that kind of shows in Job's life. It's a pattern um, that produces hope. So there's hope in the glory of God, but not only that, there's hope when we suffer. And this is key for us because a lot of the time our hope depends on our situation. A lot of the time it's um, when it's a dance that you know well. And when you're like, oh, I love this song. This is a song. I've known this one for years. And you, you just start dancing with it. You know, okay, things are going good in my life. I'm, I'm walking with God. I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm witnessing to people. And so that's when you know the dance well. But sometimes the song changes and you don't know it. Sometimes it's a dance that you've never learned. And you have to allow God to take your hands and lead you. You have to focus on him and just say, okay. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to let you teach me a new dance. And this is the seasons of our life. Different seasons come. And that's when the new dance needs to be taught to us. We need to be open to learn it. And so this is something that happened for Job. The song dramatically changed from this, this beautiful symphony that he knew well. He was doing great. Instantly, he was down, crushed. And what happened was he lost step with God during that time. He lost focus on him, and he thought that God was trying to wrestle him. And so we need to understand that we can hope in our suffering. Hope is what drives us through suffering. And I believe with all of my heart that if we didn't have hope, we couldn't survive in our walks through suffering. God has taught me that more than anything else when I've been reading and studying this, is hope is what drives us. Hope is what keeps us going. It produces our joy. It produces our ability to love, even when we're crushed. And if we didn't have something to look ahead to, if we didn't have this goal that we were so obsessed with, then we would just start looking around and not be running the race. We'd be looking around and like, ooh, look at car. Ooh. Like, like all this, like, we, we walk back and forth and we meander instead of chase after that one thing that God has given us. And so one thing that I've also learned is when good times come, enjoy them. And, and I, I studied in the book of Ecclesiastes too. My dad and I both did. We didn't even know that either of us were doing it. It was just kind of something that I was studying it, he was studying it, neither of us knew. Um, but then we came together and we talked about it. We were like, you're studying Ecclesiastes? You're studying Ecclesiastes? And so it's also, I would dare say, one of the darkest books in Scripture, but it has more hope in it than any, okay, I shouldn't say any book, but it has a lot of hope packed into it, hidden and buried in it. And 
you need to study that book. I'm just in love with that book, and I want to preach a sermon on that one. Um, but I'm almost 20 minutes over, so so I'm just I'm on my last page of notes. Okay, so we're almost done. Um, so yeah, we see the same pattern in Job's life, and if we pay attention, we'll see this pattern in our own lives. That when something new comes, we need to fix our eyes on God and let Him teach us this new dance, rather than say, "Oh God, you screwed up my dance." Have anyone seen Emperor's New Groove? Sorry, this is a little off topic. Man, you you stole my groove. You ruined my groove. How does it go? I don't know. Yeah, you threw off my groove. Like, instead of saying, "Guy, oh, you threw off my groove, we fall into this new groove. And then life's groovy, sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was terrible. Um, So now, uh, Joe... Now Job realizes he'll never understand God's ways, and um, he'll never fully understand God's ways. But now he understands that. He understands that he will never understand. And that is an important lesson, too, because in this world, we're like, you have to chase after things until you understand it. And that's true to a point. But if it's taking up everything, and you are like, I won't trust God until I understand him, then you'll never trust God. So... We need to learn how to say, okay, this is something way beyond me. I can never understand it. Um, So yeah, the entire like Disney um, world just cringed when I said that because it's all about chase your dreams, you'll achieve it someday. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pursue what you love. I'm just saying like if that takes your eyes off God, then it's not good. You should drop it. Um, so yeah, have you, have you done this? When, when something good does come along, the blessings that do come, we know now that we, we can have hope in our suffering, but we should also enjoy, thanks Seth, we should, en- we should enjoy the times that we, that we do have something good. And um, Don, I'm just going to ask you to bring up those pictures. So yeah, the, uh, it's kind of hard to see because the lights and everything, if you want to maybe turn the lights down. Um, so yeah, this is outside of our window, and I just think we have the most amazing view outside of our window, and we have this perfect west-facing window, so when the sun sets, it just it just kind of lights up the entire house. I don't know what that is. <laughs> um, and there's a couple more there, yeah. So this is out in our backyard, and this is one of those things for me, one of those like sweet spots in the day where I'm just like, I get a glimpse of the glory of God, and I'm just like, whoa. Like, I want to go there. Like, I'm so excited. This is what reminds me. Um, Would you go back to another sunset one? So, like, that's kind of like what I picture the gates of heaven. I'm just like, man, I'm going to be there someday. This is one of those sweet moments where I just have to stop everything I'm doing and pay attention. Because this is a fleeting time. It only lasts a couple minutes of the day called the golden hour. And this is one time for me in the day where I I just savor it. Sometimes you just have to stop and savor a sunset. Oh, I do. My entire family teases me about this. <laughs> they, they, it, as the sun is setting, they all say, okay, guys, get ready to pause the movie or, or stop whatever we're doing. Jay's going to go outside and stare at the sunset for five minutes. And, and they tease me about it because they think it's the same old boring sunset every single day. Um, but 
I guess this is just one of those, maybe one of those things that the rest of my family, it's not one of those things for them. But for me, this is one of those glimpses of the glory of God, and I just love to stop and savor it. And this is one of those little blessings that just make life a little easier. Even if I do have to stop homework in order to, <laughs> in order to see it. Um, so yeah, so it's important for us to remember to just stop and enjoy the sweet spots because if we're so focused on all the messy stuff that's going around, we aren't going to savor those good spots. So I'm going to, yeah, I was going to talk about dinner with Melody and that was one of those other times where it was, we don't have a lot of time together on this earth. So let's just enjoy the ones, the times that we do get, but also we know that we can hope when the bitter times come. So savor the sweet times and hope, let it carry you in the bitter ones. So yeah, the rhythm of life changes. And I guess my message to you today from the book of Job is don't let a change in rhythm throw you. Don't let it, and if it does, then get back on your feet and make eye contact with God. And that's all I have to say. So I'm going to, if you guys would stand and pray with me. Dear God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to share with uh, my church family. Um, I am unworthy of this task, but you have um, blessed me with the opportunity to do this anyways. Um, you've shown me your mercy that you would use someone like me to, to share your word. And that's an amazing reminder of the gospel and how you took the dirtiest, most shattered parts of the world and use those to glorify yourself. I, I pray that you would uh, bless all of these people today as they might be going out to have dinner with their families. Um, I pray that each of them would um, remember what I've said about savoring the sweet times and it's like it's Thanksgiving. So I pray that each of them would just stop and look around at the faces of the people that they love and remember that this is a blessing from God. The pain is just as much a blessing as the, um, the, the well, I guess the sweet blessings, like a dinner with the family. Um, and we need to just take the time and enjoy all of it and trust you when the rhythm changes and not let it throw us off or doubt you. So I would just pray that you... Um, you help these people to remember um, how, how to hope for the glory of God and you would show them each a little glimpse of your glory so that they would continue to hope and remind them of the glory yet to come because our hope is different. We don't hope in things that have already happened. We hope, well, we do, but we hope in things that are yet to come and it won't put us to shame. It won't disappoint us. It's something solid that we can put our hands on and see with our eyes and faith comes through hearing. So I just, I just pray that each of these people would be talking amongst themselves and reminding each other of the hope that is still yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.